extraordinary people's extraordinary stories. Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to have a chat with Jerry. Jerry, if you can tell me where and when you were born, and if you can describe what it was like, where you grew up, the schools you went to, and the education that you received. Yeah. Over to you, yeah. Jerry. Yeah, yeah. Hi. Hi, Tim. Uh, happy to be here. Yeah, so um, my parents came over from Taiwan and finished grad school in uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And so that's where I was born. And so in Wisconsin, went to a pretty standard uh, elementary school. And, you know, my parents did a good job just letting me have a carefree childhood where I didn't have to worry about money. And, you know, anytime I wanted a Christmas present, I got it. Right. So that was pretty sweet. Um, had a really great third grade teacher who was a former Vietnam vet. Uh, and so he had all sorts of stories and wasn't afraid to put us in boot camp if, uh, you know, we were acting out of line. So thankfully, I never was in boot camp, but uh, I saw a lot of kids who were. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, you know, nothing really out of the ordinary in Wisconsin, but there wasn't a large Asian community there. So, you know, I had, had my share of racial epithets thrown at me. You know, one girl yeah. got the tiff on a playground telling me to go back to Japan where I belong. It's like, well, you know, I, don't, I don't understand that, but, you know, okay. And um, so my journey took a, a, an unexpected detour after I started or I, fin I finished fifth grade because my dad, um, you know, his job, he kind of bounced around a couple different companies. He was a, he had a master's in chemical engineering. And so at one point, the branch that he was working on Wisconsin shut down. And so next thing we know, we're moving to Knoxville, Tennessee, where I started uh, middle school where I started sixth grade and so all right um, so, so just yeah, a, go ahead. just a quick question yeah your your, your parents came from Taiwan D yes. did you come were you born in Taiwan no I was born in the U.S. In... I was born in Wisconsin yeah okay yeah. and and how concerned at the moment are you for Taiwan with oh, um, what's going on <laughs> it's, it, it, you know it, yeah 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 no it's a it's it this is not a new story, unfortunately, right? I remember, yeah. you know, in, in the mid-90s when, um, you know, China was doing more of the same thing and just firing missiles into neutral space and just causing all sorts of issues. And, you know, honestly, yeah, I mean, it's always going to be a concern. On the other hand, I would just want to roll my eyes because this is not a new threat, right? Like, it's yeah. like China, it's as, if, it's as if China thinks that somehow while the world is looking away you know, and other, you know, world diversions like the Ukraine invasion and such that somehow people are just going to not notice the fact that they, you know, want to invade and take over Taiwan. So, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's just a shame that despite their best efforts to come across as a country that says, oh, look, we're modern and we have integrity now. It's clearly there's a, a power dynamic there that has been ongoing for quite some time. And, you mm. know, as long as people simply want to overlook the the human rights injustices that China has done for the sake of business, um, yeah. you know, things won't get better. Yeah. So have you, have you visited the country at all? Uh, yeah, it's been a while since I, I visited. I last went to Taiwan, golly, like 2007, so about 15 years ago. So all right. basically, and that's part of the journey is just that, when I was still living in Knoxville, uh, you know, I had more opportunities to, to travel internationally. 
when I moved to mm. Texas 12 years ago, um, I did travel internationally for about six years before I finally had the chance to go to Beirut. And even then, um, yeah, like it's been tough trying to find time to visit family, um, given the recent yeah. circumstances as well. So yeah, believe me, it's, it's a relationship I, I wish I could cultivate more, but lately it's just mm. been more difficult. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> that aside, should we should we go back to sixth grade? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let me let me go. Let me <laughs> let's go back in the time machine. So yeah. So uh, Tennessee was definitely um, a different culture uh, shift for sure. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, less, a lot more southern hospitality. A lot more you know face to face. You know, um, you know you can say play acting right because the hospitality is there even if you don't necessarily like somebody right. Um, yeah. and, you know, and that wasn't bad. You know, I went through my usual adolescent challenges of, you know, crushing on girls and getting picked on by bullies, <laughs> and, you know, just, you know, I was a scrawny Asian kid that was just trying to fit in. So, uh, you know, did the best I could to honor my parents' efforts to invest in my education. Um, and, you know, so, you know, around junior, senior year, I, I finally kind of found my circle of friends that I was comfortable with and I was excited for college. Um, yeah. But college, yeah, college is also another uh, culture shift because I ended up uh, going to school in Houston, where I currently live. And so Houston was a whole nother world, right? Um, mm. People in Texas are very proud of Texas. <laughs> and, um, oh, yes. you know, and so... <laughs> Uh, I learned quickly that I was, you know, academically, I was a, a relatively big fish in a small pond. But then, you know, going to a, a school like Rice, where, um, you know, you have that you're dealing with the top 10 of everybody's class and you see quickly who is self-motivated and who relied more on their parents, you know, to stay on top of things like myself. Right. And so, you know, when my mom is not the one you know, driving me to be sure I'm cutting out distractions and staying on top of my schoolwork, right? I, my grades suffered a little bit. And so mm. um, I originally had dreams of being pre-med, you know, ran in my family. My paternal grandfather is a physician for many years. And um, when I got to see in organic chemistry my sophomore year, I, I just pretty much gave up on those. I just said, well, you know, I guess I, I wasn't that serious about it, right? Otherwise, I would have yeah. worked harder at this. And so had to do a pivot, right? And had to ask myself, well, you know, if I've basically given up on the idea of med school, which I technically didn't have to, but I just wasn't willing to put more work into it. So, well, what else do I, what else do I want to consider? And I said, well, you know, I still want to do healthcare, but maybe pharmacy um, would still be a, a, a valid profession. So I, you know, I, I got my pharmacy prerequisites lined up. I convinced pharmacy school that I would make a good pharmacist. And, um, actually got accepted, actually left after my junior year to start pharmacy school. And that was a hard decision because, mm. you know, my parents are the ones, you know, kind enough to help me with, with my tuition costs and said, Hey, look, you know, go ahead and please save us a year's worth of tuition uh, and just start, start the next chapter of your life. And, you know, of course me wanted to be around my friends and didn't want to leave my friends. Right. It was, uh, that was, that was hard. And, you know, yeah. in hindsight, it was a decision I could appreciate. I just didn't appreciate it at the time. So, um, went to pharmacy school and now it's back up in Memphis, uh, Tennessee on the, on the West side of the state, because that was the only pharmacy school in the state. And, uh, you know, went through some years where, yeah, grad school was tough and, you know, um, had some, had some decent community there, but had to learn a lot of lessons 
that I wouldn't have learned otherwise because, you know, undergrad was very cush, right? We had a cafeteria, the yeah. you know, meal plan. Now I have to fend for myself and meals and, you know, still find time to study <laughs> and cook. And it's just not good for, you know, an Asian single grad student life. It's just not a pretty picture, right? Yeah. And so thankfully got through pharmacy school relatively, you know, without too many bumps and bruises. Um, but uh, my final year in school, uh, finally got to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, actually did a rotation in Ireland, uh, in, in Dublin for a month, which, you know, kind of opened up my eyes because before mm. I was just very close minded about the world. I was very much settling for comfort. And I'm like, why would you, you know, leave your friends to do study abroad? That just doesn't appeal to me at all. But you know, once I went to Ireland for a month, I just said, wow, you know, this world has opened up to me. Now I want to travel all the time. Right. Um, yeah. But I had to deal with the fact that now it's about to become a grown up, or at least I thought I was because um, that, <laughs> yeah, well, that year, right, the year, the months leading up to my graduation, my mom and I had um, had uh, very different ideas about how my career should go. And, yeah. you know, um, I actually, we actually both wanted me to work for a chain pharmacy, but I didn't agree with her choice of chain pharmacy. Um, and even though my mom's never worked a day in her life in pharmacy, mom's no best. Right. And so she's like, no, you yeah. work for this company. <laughs> and so, you know, leading up to this was just this, um, aversion to conflict. Right. Cause I don't want to upset my parents. I don't want to upset other people. I'm just trying to be liked. Right. And so, you know, I was at just at a stage in my life at that point where I just didn't, I wasn't willing to put up with, you know, her, what I'll say is nagging, right. Her insistence on what she thought I needed for my life, where she's like, Hey, you know, I have this girl lined up for you. You should marry her. She's really great. (laughs) Um, You know, this job, I don't want you to deal with the same uh, struggles that your dad had trying to maintain viable employment. I'd rather you just work for this company for like 20 years and just bank away money aggressively. And then one day you'll finally get to do what you want. And, you know, I'm just like, I don't know if I like that plan, but I'll go with it because I just don't, you know, I just don't want to yeah. deal with their insistence. And so, yeah. So for the first couple of years, you know, moved back to Knoxville, lived there, you know, just hating my job, uh, hating my mom's plan for my life, hating her insistence that I implement the plan for my life. And then, you know, there was a stage where I was working for this change pharma- chain pharmacy that I actually got comfortable because I, I was at a store that had flexible hours. I was able to take longer trips without using vacation time. And I knew just how rare these situations were. And so I actually got Mm. scared to leave. And, you know, my boss was happy with me. She knew that as long as I was better than 70 or 80% of the rest of the the staff pharmacists that I knew I wasn't going to really get in trouble for anything. So it was a pretty cush time and I almost got complacent. But when I transferred to another store closer to where I was living and, you know, that flexibility went away, I realized just how unhappy I was with the job again, realizing, hey, you know what, this isn't a long-term choice uh, or a a good long-term path. And so after a really bad customer service incident back in 2010, I said, okay, I've had enough. Like I, I can't live at home anymore. This is just you know, I had just earned a third week of vacation. Right. And I was like, it doesn't matter because the other 49 are terrible. So, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm still going to look for other things. And so, um, this is where, you know, things got interesting because I told a friend, you know, that I was interested in trying to find a teaching job for pharmacy students, but it didn't have a conventional, you know, PhD. So I couldn't get a university job, but she worked Mm. for a consulting company, a pharmacy consulting company here in Houston and said, Hey, you know, my, my previous position opened up because I got promoted. Do you want to apply for it? I said, absolutely. Um, and so uh, next thing I know, I'm walking away from a full-time job with benefits, 
you know, which my parents were just shocked by to work for this consulting yeah. company that they had never heard of, right? So I'm moving from Knoxville to Houston. I'm like excited for this next chapter of my life. I thought this would be the last company I ever would have to work for because I, I knew and respected them so much. And um, 11 months later, I got fired. And um, that was, a, you know, it was a tough wake up call, right? Because I didn't want to admit mm. that what I was doing and thinking at the time was uh, going to get me in this kind of trouble. Basically, uh, the, the tipping point for that job was when I was tasked to draft test questions for the next round of students. I got writer's block and got scared. And I just basically convinced myself that as long as I told them of good enough stories to why I didn't get the job done, that they would understand. And uh, obviously that doesn't work in entrepreneurship, right? Either you get results or you have excuses, but you can't have both. And so yeah. at the time, right, I just couldn't appreciate that perspective. In either case, you know, they said, you know, we've given you more than enough chances to prove yourself and, you know, you haven't come through. So um, that's where the roller coaster just continued to take another turn. After six weeks of looking for another job, I end up at a house of cards pharmacy where four of my paychecks bounce, filling for crooked doctors. And now, right, just double whammy, more reality check, right? Not only am I jeopardizing my license, I'm not even getting paid for this, right? And then mm. even worse, I'm sending checks home. I'm not checking the bank account, but my mom is. And, you know, when the first checks bounced, okay, fine. Weird things happen. Okay, you know, yeah. just get me the cash well done. But then two, three, and four bounce. And I asked my mom, did you know that two, three, and four bounce? And she goes, oh, yeah, you know, but I was too afraid to tell you. And it's like, no, like you don't hide bad news, right? Like now I'm trying to pay for groceries with money I don't actually have. You need to tell me this so I can do something about it, right? And yeah. so again, my conflict aversion kept me from really confronting this guy because what do you do to confront the guy who's clearly ripping you off? And you're just afraid that if you you know, hit him too hard, he's just going to cut you loose and now you don't have any money, right? So mm. it's like, how, what kind of game do you play? So after nine months of that, my friends got me out of that job with a more legitimate company that liked me, but couldn't pay me more than eight hours a week. So I said, well, what do I do? And they said, well, you can get more hours for us out in Austin if you're willing to work uh, out there, which is two and a half hours away from Houston uh, and only an hour away from San Antonio, right? I could end up in worse places. Like I have friends that, you mm. know, ask me why everyone else is trying to fight for a job in Austin. And you're the only one that we know that's trying to leave. And I said, well, you know, it's just not home. Houston at this point had become, uh, had hope, had become home to me. And so, yeah. you know, that summer, I'm, this is 2012 now. I have no idea what my life is going to look like. And um, that summer was key because some friends of mine who run a pharmacy leadership nonprofit said, hey, uh, our national meeting is coming up. We know you've been facilitating on the fraternity side, but one of our facilitators backed out and we need your help on the leadership side. Would you be willing to step in? And I said, absolutely, because I love these guys. I you know, was excited mm. for the chance to work with them. And um, something happened when I was helping teach this leadership material, because for the longest time, I said, leadership is hard. I don't like failing at it. I don't like having these difficult conversations. I'm not good at them. I don't think I'll ever be good at them. Right. But now, right now, when I'm teaching this, I said, well, wow, you know, what if I could be a good leader? Right. How would I carry myself? What kind of work would that involve? And so now I come back, you know, that some from that summer session, like all fired up. And um, then the company I was working for at the time said, hey, you can either stay part time in Austin or there's a full time manager position that, that opened up in Houston if you want to take that. And I said, you know, I, I need the benefits. <laughs> you know, I need the benefits. I, uh, I'm tired of feeling scared. I don't want to, you know, play it safe. I'm ready to come home. So yeah, let me, um, let me go back to Houston, take on this manager position. And 
you know, me being so short-sighted that somehow I could be able to finally take my gloves off and say, this is the last job. I'll ever and then uh, I proceed to get written up the following year because my technicians are not pulling their weight and um, I'm not writing them up. And so management puts me on a probation and says, Hey, you know, they're, you know, they're, their uh, behavior is a problem, but your passivity is the bigger problem. So, you know, we got mm. to, uh, you know, hold you to a higher standard. And so, you know, after about a month or so, the company had their funding pulled, actually. So, you know, I was already planning to leave and it just kind of, you know, it just kind of, you know, made this a little more urgent. It. Yeah, it's like, well, you know, I just need to look a little faster. <laughs> and so the crazy thing is I randomly get a, a job opportunity uh you know, email. And so I inter I apply for it. And the only reason I get an interview was that um, I had leadership experience on my resume now. And so I said, wow, you know, leadership saved my career, right? Because I wouldn't mm. have this option unless I had improved my resume and shown, hey, yeah, I have a track record of taking on these challenges. And so unfortunately, that job only lasted 11 months um, because of a bad business model. And so what I tell people is that, you know, in pharmacy, yeah, I was thankful to have more job options, but if they're like icebergs that melt after one or two years, it doesn't matter how many icebergs I get to hop to, they're still going to, yeah. you know, hop. I'm still going to melt. I got to hop to another one. And so about five years ago now, you know, when the previous employer went under, I said, you know, I'm tired of chasing insurance, uh, you know, drama. I'm tired of dealing with doctor scripts and, you know, but I love teaching those leadership workshops, which I've done since, um, you know, 2012. You know, what would a career in coaching and uh, facilitating look like? How could I make that a reality? And still very scared of rejection and failure. So it was more like a hobby, you know, for the next couple of years. Yeah. And then what I tell people is it took a pandemic for me to say, hey, you know what? How much longer am I going to put this off? So let me just go ahead and file the LLC, get the website up. And, you know, don't get me wrong. Like, had I not had my pharmacy job during the pandemic, I don't know what I would have done. Uh, thankfully, mm. very grateful for that paycheck in the middle of a very difficult time. Um, and at the same time, right at one point, am I going to have a clear exit strategy to launch uh, into coaching and facilitating full time? And so that kind of brings us to now where I've just been, you know, trying to increase visibility and get to know people through networking opportunities like podcasts. And uh, so that's what brings us here today. And just saying, hey, mm -hmm. you know what, I'm just trying to meet fun people uh, and that and tell them my story and hear their story and, you know, see how we can help each other. So that's, uh, that's the yeah. journey. Wow. Let's, let's just, uh, go back a little bit. Let's sure. have a look at, uh, you, you're going through pharmacy school. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Now I, I see uh, you've got to learn, I guess some Latin because yeah, lots of books come out with, with Latin names. Yeah. yeah. But how, how do they go about teaching you to read doctor's handwriting? <laughs> uh, prayer. That's I mean, probably got to be the hardest part of the whole course, surely. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's uh, that's one of them because, yeah, you don't know. Like, they, they show us medication error examples all the time of what doctors write, and it's terrible. Yeah. Like, And then the pharmacist usually is the one that gets sued because, you know, they guessed wrong on a drug. And, you know, we're the ones liable because we were the last ones to dispense the medication to the patient. And so, yeah, that's, uh, yeah. yeah, much, much harder than the advanced pill counting by fives that a lot of people like to tease me for. So. <laughs> so, so the pharmacy school then, so, so how long was that? 
pharmacy school was um, a four-year program. So we basically had three years of class and then one, years of, one year of rotations um, and then yeah, took some board exams and then, you know, then, yeah. we're, then we're out in the workforce. So yeah, it was three years. It was the first year is mainly like basic you know, science review, like biochemistry and medicinal chemistry and such. And then the bulk of the curriculum in the next couple of years is uh, pharmacology and then therapeutics where they specifically go over, you know, a body system and a disease state and the drugs used to treat it. So therapeutics is kind of where everything comes together, where you understand, okay, here's how the body functions. Here is where it breaks down. Here are the mechanisms of action that the drugs use to treat the problem when the body breaks down. And this is what mm. you then tell the patient, you know, to be sure that the drugs work uh, the way that they need to, to, you know, uh, alleviate the symptoms. Yeah. So, so I guess you, you have to go really in depth to know what's in the drug to start with. Mm-hmm. If they're on a different, uh, another drug for something else, mm-hmm. yeah. is that going to have an effect yep. on, on the, on the drug that you're, you're giving them? Oh, and, absolutely. And, do, 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 do the doctors help with that situation? Do the doctors um, identify those issues before you? Or do you, as a pharmacist, have to sort of look at what other medication these guys are on uh, to make sure that it's not going to conflict and, and cause them more damage than they've already got? Yeah, yeah, that's a fair question. So the, there's a number of factors to answer your question, right? Ideally, and in, in the ideal situation is that the patient only has like one main doctor, right, that they go to. And the doctor yeah. has, you know, a complete uh, medication list for this patient and, you know, can do a quick review of those drugs, you know, to make sure. And so, you know, the doctor has a lot to cover, right? Because there's a lot of drugs and, you know, as mm. you know, some patients have a long list and to remember every possible interaction of everything that could go wrong, right? Ideally, yeah, he would have all the resources he needs in order to make sure he doesn't write for something that's going to interact with another drug or, you know, have the write for a drug that the patient has an allergy to, uh, or, you know, or if there's a disease condition that, you know, that would make using this drug, uh, you know, dangerous, right? And so it's, uh, as much as doctors need that, they also need an extra layer of help, right? So that's where the pharmacist comes yeah. in to say, hey, you know, even if the doctor is technically able to be self-sufficient with this, right, it's always helpful to have like a, a, another person to have a second set of eyes just to say, hey, look, you know, maybe, yeah. maybe we missed the fact that this patient is pregnant or maybe this patient saw a different doctor that filled at our pharmacy that this first doctor wasn't aware of. And so, um, yeah, you know, having an extra layer uh, of protection can only help yeah. you know, the prescribers. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's ultimately, you know, from a liability standpoint, the pharmacist will, you know, if the pharmacist doesn't catch it right, the, everyone gets mad at the goalie for letting the goal, you know, <laughs> letting yeah. the other score. But, uh, you know, it is, it's just the system that led up to that, right? Um, that can yeah. also be an issue. And so hopefully people can understand, okay, here are the main points of contention or, or interest or consideration so that we understand, okay, maybe the doctor is able to confer with the pharmacist as they're writing the drug, right? So then it doesn't get down to the doctor writes the drug, the patient comes to the pharmacy, the pharmacy catches the possible drug interaction, then the pharmacy has to call the doctor who's already busy seeing another patient. You know, ideally we could kind of just kind of engineer out that flaw, but we understand everyone's busy. And so we just need to figure out, you know, a better way to, to move that forward. Yeah, I guess um, 
certainly over here in England, when you go to the pharmacy to pick up uh, a prescription, yeah. they've they've checked it from from coming from the doctors, and then you get at least two pharmacists mm -hmm. check each other to make sure that it's the right drug, the right quantity, uh, and mm -hmm. and I guess if 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 a doctor's scribbled out um, the prescription and they can't understand it, they'll have to go back um, before they'll issue it. Yeah. I know, so, certainly I'm, I'm on a few different drugs, you know, bloke of my age. <laughs> yeah, <that happens. laughs> You need a few bits and pieces to keep you going. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. No. Um, yeah. One quick situation I'll give an example. I mean, it is, it's difficult, right? I remember, like, during rush hour one Monday evening, um, a a, a parent came in for a kid who was sick, needed an antibiotic, but neither me nor the other pharmacist could read the doctor's handwriting. And, you know, we're trying to call this children's hospital, you know, emergency room. No one's picking yeah. up, right? Cause everyone's slammed at five o'clock and, you know, yeah. um, and, the, and, you know, we, we tell the lady, we're like, we can't dispense this. Cause you know, we don't know what the doctor wrote. And she's like, what do you mean? My kid is sick. Like he needs the medication. And we're just like, if we were, if we dispensed the wrong medication, right, then now we're going to get sued yeah. because you know you insisted that the patient needs an antibiotic, and we're not we're not you know denying the urgency of the situation. But if we can't yeah. dispense what is correct, you know, until then, uh, you know, it's it's we're you're just going to have to wait because that's not a risk that we can afford to take on our side. Yeah, because it sure as eggs exists, being in America, they're going to sue your ass off, aren't they? <laughs> yep, yep, those lawyers are looking for opportunities, for sure. Yeah. So, coming forward, then, so you've, you've bounced around. I, I thought sort of pharmacies were, were like um, a bit like funeral directors. They're kind of <laughs> never, ever going to go out of business. Fair but enough. clearly, you, you you picked up a couple of wrong ones there, somewhere somewhere along the line, where where they have been gone bust or 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 you got sacked because you can't give somebody a a bit of a telling off. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean it's uh to give people a more complete picture of the landscape, and I'm happy to you know give people a, a behind the curtain view of this of this profession, right? Because when I first yeah. got into pharmacy school all of a sudden like these drugstores started to you know take off and you had like this artificial demand because at the time in tennessee memphis was the only school in the state and then you have all these other companies like building drugstores and all of a sudden you have this inflated sense of demand salaries were going up i had i had no you know uh shortage of, of job offers when i was going mm. through school and even graduating and you had People, I remember my first year in school, Walgreens sponsored a dinner for my class and they said, we will hire every single one of you uh, if you're willing to work for us. And it was just it was a class of 100 people. You're like, man, this is great. Yeah. Right. Your ego goes up a little bit. And, you know, <laughs> you're like, this is great. Like some people offer me signing bonuses. Some people offering like a car, you know, a relocation mm. bonus, all these other things. Right. And then a strange trend started to happen, you know, right as I was about to graduate where all these schools said, hey, wow, you know, pharmacy school is a profitable uh, revenue source for us, right? Because a lot of pharmacy school programs are actually six-year programs. So they basically build in two years of undergraduate work uh, into yeah. their pharmacy curriculum. And so instead of just four years of, of tuition revenue, you can get six, right? So all of a sudden, all these schools are applying to set up pharmacy schools. And now 
uh, the job market is much more saturated, right? Yeah. Now, right, the drug stores are getting filled up. And now, like, you know, and these schools make no apologies for that, right? And they say, well, mm. you know, we got accredited. We can, uh, you know, give you the degree. Yeah. It's not our fault that, you know, if the market goes, goes bust after we've, you know, enrolled you in our program and it's like well you kind of are responsible because you know you're you're basically graduating competition yeah. for me and for the, you know, all the classes that are graduating right and um you know so like for a while you know the last couple of years a lot of kids were either scared to enroll in pharmacy school or number two graduate because they had no way of any idea how they were going to pay off all yeah. their student loans because they didn't have a skill set that was in high demand anymore and the pandemic, ironically, has kind of shifted back uh, the pendulum toward the middle because there are these jobs that nobody wants. <laughs> yeah. But but now I'm seeing all these ads, right, for jobs that nobody else wants. And it's like, well, you know, I'm yeah. grateful that I can find a job. But if the if the selection is still only mediocre, right, like what? Yeah. Uh, what? How happy can I really be that you know? At least if my current job goes under, at least I can find another one. So, yeah, it's there's a lot of you know interplay, a lot of selfish interests that dictate supply and demand. And what I tell people yeah. though is that I like being a pharmacist. I love the knowledge base that I have acquired mm. through school. I'm glad that I'm not, you know. Uh, going to be fooled by drug direct to consumer advertising like when they use technical terms i can discern them but having to work as a pharmacist you know there that's a that's another question right because there are yeah. don't get me wrong there are jobs that people enjoy solving clinical challenges and they and they uh and they get reimbursed properly for that right a large a large yeah. shortcoming of pharmacy schools that they don't tell you about the business side of healthcare right they say well you need to get an mba or another degree in order to get that business sense but mm. what if you built that into the curriculum right and people are just like oh you should give back to your alumni you know as an alumnus you should give back and it's like well, do you want some of my debt because you didn't tell me how to build a viable <laughs> business like how am i supposed to give you money to you know that i don't have you say be grateful for your degree i'm just like well you know be grateful for my debt like i don't understand <laughs> help me make money so i can give you money right there's a prerequisite yeah. there yeah yeah chicken and egg sort of syndrome there isn't it mm -hmm. absolutely so we we you've got through the pandemic so you're working as a pharmacist all the way through so you, you've you've had a check, but at the same time you're working on building your own business. Is it? Yes. Yep. 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 That's uh, so, that's the that's the side uh, hustle that's supposed to become the main hustle. Yes. Yeah. So are you are you still working as a pharmacist and doing your own business? So, yeah. So yeah. you've got that you've got that bit of a cushion if if, if things sort of start going a bit with your your business so yeah. what is your business yeah yeah um so it is a coaching and consulting business mainly for leadership and conflict resolution um i did get a certification as a leadership coach i spent a lot of money on that program actually which is another business thing right education yeah. is a business but um yeah so i got i got certified and then you know from all the coaches that I met, you know, they told me how to start my own business. And so, yeah, I'm just in the process of trying, struggling, failing to, you know, land clients and, you know, add value to the world through my offerings. Mm. And, 
yeah, you know, honestly, the first year I started in October 2020 officially. And so the first year was just survival. I was just happy that I did no private yeah. tutoring on the side just to cover my expenses. And, you know, now I'm just getting hit with all these marketing pitches of saying, hey, you know, why settle for singles when you can start hitting home runs, right? Just this is the program, you know, join our program and we'll help you become the six figure coach yeah. that you've always envisioned for yourself. And just to, to, to filter through all that noise has been hard. I'm not going to deny that um, because I'm just trying to figure out who's willing to help me, but not just like drain my bank so account. Yeah, so that's that's now coming to fruition, is it? It's all all coming together. It's starting to, yeah. So this year, you know, I'm trying to just continue to plant more seeds. Uh, still applying on podcasts like this one. Um, you know, meeting fun people and yeah, just, uh, in fact, one of the, one of the bigger wins was that one of the coaches I know who has their own coaching practice said, Hey, I have a gig with MD Anderson, you know, the giant cancer hospital. And, uh, when I mentioned your name, uh, they said they would be interested. So would you be, you know, okay to be on my bench in case the, the gig, you know, plays out in full. And, you know, that was a big, uh, that was a big uh, step, I think, just because when this other coach says, hey, you know what, I, I see the way you're scrapping. I see, I like the resilience you've had just trying to stay open and, you know, scrap your first year and not be in the, and not be too much in the red. You know what, maybe, maybe this guy's a good one to keep on my team. So uh, between that and just, yeah, just figuring out who else I can collaborate with uh, in terms of, you know, putting on some programming uh, and workshops that would really help corporations or individuals. Um, yeah, that's the next stage and trying to, you know, bootstrap my way forward. Yeah, I mean, that's always uh, a challenge. I mean, moving forward a business yeah. to, to get it to grow, mm -hmm. to get the, the resilience built in, I guess, mm -hmm. uh, and and to, to get your target audience, yeah. uh, who you're going to deliver it to, mm -hmm. to get them on side, to get the recommendations, to get the... Um, the word of mouth to keep it to keep it going, I suppose. Absolutely. Um, and and, yeah. and and if 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 you've got a good product, mm -hmm. people like it, they'll come back again. So, mm -hmm. yeah, excellent. So that's where you are nowadays. That's that's where you've got to. You you've you've got your business set up. How can people get in touch with you if 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 they want to use your services? Are your services online, or do you do it remotely? Or do you need to do it face to face? Do you need to take somebody around the back and, and sort of <laughs> explain it in graphic detail? Or yeah, yeah, happy to answer that question for you. Um, how yeah. does it work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, easiest way to get in touch: you can connect with me on LinkedIn if you want. Uh, but all the good stuff happens at my website, which is www.adaptingleaders.com. Uh, from there, you can download a free guide on how to handle difficult conversations. Um, you can schedule a complimentary 30 minute call. Um, you can read the free blog where I summarize useful, interesting leadership literature and offer other life hacks. Uh, and there are formal coaching programs available. You know, some are self-study, which can be as little as 50 bucks. You know, if you want the big enchilada, you know, and you want me to open up my yeah. entire kitchen sink, you know, that's about four <laughs> or five K and that's fine. You know, like I said, you know, there are a couple price points and, you know, if people can decide, yeah. Hey, I'm just a student. I, I, you know, I need money for coffee and groceries. Sure. You know, read the free blog, start there. Right. We don't yeah. want to exclude anyone just because of, of price uh, to, to get help. But if you really want the full 
uh, extent of resources and experience that I bring to the table, you know, yeah, like I, ideally you'd see that as a good value because, right, I'm not here to rip anybody off, right? I'm not here to mm. break up anybody, but I do want them to realize, hey, you know, if you're going to pay me $5,000 for a six month, you know, program, I'm going yeah. to come through in every possible way for you, right? Because you have shown me that you put some serious skin in the game. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the best way. Just, yeah, www.adaptingleaders.com. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, Jerry, I think uh, I've learned a thing or two today, that's for sure. So hopefully everybody else will. Yeah. And uh... The Tim Hill Podcasts. Ordinary people's extraordinary stories. 